is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA. The annual celebration and recognition of Banned Books Week is September 26th through October 2nd. And as so often happens with civil liberty struggles, what's old is new again, with the fights over inclusive education making censorship very much a live issue. In August, staff at Central York High School in York County were informed that a long list of materials could not be used in their instruction. The common theme of these books and multimedia materials, they were all by or about black and brown people. But students, staff, and parents fought back. In this episode, you'll hear from two teachers and three students at Central York who were right in the middle of that fight. We've been doing this podcast for three and a half years, and this is one of my favorite conversations that we've had. I think you'll agree. Well, thank you all for taking the time. You have had uh, quite the month here in the last few weeks. You probably didn't quite anticipate starting school like this, but um, it's been an adventure there at Central York. But before we get into the meat of what has happened, especially you know, we're, we're next we're celebrating Banned Books, Books Week, so it seems really appropriate um, for you all to come on and talk about the fact that you had banned books and banned materials and banned Sesame Street at your school. So uh, we'll get into that a bit. Um, but I want to give each of you a chance to um, to introduce yourselves. And why don't we start with uh, with the teachers who are with us, uh, Ben and Patricia. Uh, my name is Patricia A. Jackson, and I am a creative writing and English teacher at Central York High School. I am Ben Hodge. I am the acting and speech teacher at the high school, as well as the uh, artistic director for Central York School High School. And I'm also the uh, advised, faculty advisor of the Panther Anti-Racist Union. All right, great. Thank you both. And um, the heroes of this story, the three students that are with us, um, Ida, Christina, and Olivia, why don't you just um, tell us about, you know, your you're, uh, what grade you're in, um, maybe a little bit about why you got involved in this. So my name is Eva. I'm a senior at Century York High School, uh, and I got involved in this initially because I believe that diversity education has a place in education in general, no matter what, whether it's Central or whether it's any district in America, because African-American history is American history. BIPOC history is American history. And that, that curricula deserves to have a place in schools. So we're teaching kids the right history, not the whitewash history or the incorrect history. Hi, my name is Christina Ellis. And I'm also a senior. And the reason why I got involved was because when I saw this book ban, I, the first thing, the first tab on it was K through 12 books. And going through those books, I realized that kids in their developing years won't be able to use these resources. And I thought that was just completely wrong. And I needed to say something and do something to make sure that kids, you know, were younger than me, you know, I kind of leave a legacy in a way to make sure that they, you know, have the equal opportunity. I'm Olivia Patuk and I'm also a senior. And um, I mean, the main reason that I joined uh, and kind of, uh, you know, followed along with this movement was, um, all of these books are so incredible for teaching um, for teaching young kids about diversity and uh, all all kids should be able to see themselves represented in books uh, and all of these books would have do um, 
uh, provide that. So I really, really wanted to make these resources available for kids because they're really, really crucial to um, a lot of young kids' education and experience growing up. Great. Well, thank you all, and thanks for taking the time to talk. We let's let's uh, go back here and talk a little bit about the details of of what happened at Central York. So Patricia and Ben, why don't you start? Can you, can you take us through the timeline? When did you become aware that the school board was trying to squash discussions of diversity and inclusion issues? And, and how did that play out? I'll defer to you, whichever take one of you away, wants ben. to step in. <laughs> so my dog's barking right now. So um, I would say that what we feel I think is best to share is where I think this story starts off for us with these kids uh, is that uh, on August 11th, uh, we received an email uh, that is now well documented that basically the subject of the email was uh, banned resources. Um, and it basically said in no intense, no other way of saying it, it basically said, please do not use these, make sure that you are not using these materials in your classroom. And once again, please assure that it almost twice made sure that we are not to use them with the resource list. It was titled banned resources and it was a PDF that was on the bottom of that. So in terms of the timeline before that, I don't feel that we are, we, we really shouldn't get into the uh, timeline of that. And I also think there are some news reports out there that have done a really good job of looking through those things. Um, so we really wanna focus in on when this really started to happen uh, with the August 11th email. And, and so when you when the reality of what the board was doing sunk in, what was your reaction as teachers? How would this impact your instruction? Um, I will say that my reaction was not as a teacher, but as a black person in this country. Um, I feel that black people in this country for the last I don't even know how long it's been like having a walking form of PTSD. Um, and I was taught you keep your head down and your mouth shut and you just keep walking the walk. Um, and I was in full retreat. I was in absolute full retreat. I wanted no parts of it. There was no fighting city hall, so to speak, um, but I was defiant. I was gonna teach what I was gonna always teach. And I was gonna always have the discussions with my children about difficult topics, no matter what. I was kind of sad that I was no longer teaching American literature because Frederick Douglass is in that, Malcolm X is in that, Dr. King is in that. And I was vigilant on doubling down on it and looking for other resources to add to that curriculum. Um, however, one of my compatriots retired and I was doing world literature instead. Um, so that sort of co contributed to me being able to take a full retreat until Ben came to my door and was like, you need to stop. And yeah, about so, you. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so for, for me, the impact that this uh, first of all, I was I was confused. I was shocked. I was extremely appalled when I saw that. Um, and I feel very similar to what uh, Patty was talking about, obviously, from a very different perspective as a white cis male. Um, in my experience is not the same by any means. However, um, uh, over the years, um, I have seen uh, 
an increase in my, my classes are 50, 50 split down the middle racially and culturally. Right. So, and, and so for me to, to not be able to use resources that would help amplify and celebrate all of my students, which is in our mission statement, um, was very frustrating to me and also very, um, very confusing and very, very problematic for me as an educator, because I, like Patty, feel very strongly about making sure that if we're using, uh, for example, in my line of work as an acting teacher, I really needed to start taking a closer look at my monologues that I was offering people. Am I only giving, you know, I need to make sure representation was starting to show up in the works that the monologues and the scenes and the plays that people, the kids were reading uh, in my class. And when this came out, I, I had already planned over the summer to really start amping that up and working with this. So when I saw this, um, I kind of felt the way Patty did. And that is, well, I think this is the right thing to do. And representation does matter. But I'll be very honest that I also was looking over my shoulder a lot of the time. And I was questioning. It's not a great place to be an, an educator as an educator to really be like Tiptoe. It's already hard enough to be an educator about worrying about what you're going to say and how it's going to be misrepresented because communication is such a key part of it. So for me to have to now think another third or fourth time about is this material going to get me in trouble is not a good place to to be to be working, uh, especially when you've been educating and you have, you know, you know, a master's degree in education. And so like you think we, you're doing the right thing, but it puts questions in your minds. And I don't think that makes for good teaching. If you're constantly doubting or second guessing, and is this going to, is this going to like, you know, offend anybody or get in trouble? And I get it. Things offend people. And, but we have resources to, we have things in place in this district. For example, there's an exemption form. So I showed Schindler's list a few years ago, several years ago, and I sent a letter home to all the families and said, hey, you know, we're watching this movie. It touches on some really intense stuff and shows everything and talks about everything. Um, you know, your child can opt out if they want to, which is totally agreeable and it's in our board policy and it's what we do. So that's another reason why I was confused. We have this system, so I don't know why we needed to go this far to tell teachers to not use this particular set of resources list. So as long as we're talking about the lists, I'd like to ask one of the students just to give us some examples of, of what we're talking about. Uh, maybe Ida, if you wanna just kind of tick off some of the things that were on that list. I mean, this list was absolutely egregious and and extensive. It was it was four pages. Um, most of it was elementary school level books. Um, of that, I am Rosa Parks. The Who Was series, like the biography published by Scholastic. Who was Michelle Obama? I mean, who is Michelle Obama? Who is Barack Obama? Who was great civil rights activists, um, as well as just inclusion and diversity books like I Am Enough, which is a book about being respectful to your peers um, and fostering a self-love at a young age. It's a children's book. And I believe the only reason that book was banned was because the main color, the main character and the color of her skin. And these books were just ridiculous to be banned. 
And for the three of you, I want to go back to August 11th because I, I take it you all were not in school yet at that point. Most districts in PA are not quite back yet, but they're coming back in a few weeks. So, but, uh, you know, in the social media age, you all can keep, it's not, it's not like when Ben and Patricia and I were in school and we had to pick up the phone and to basically talk to each other. And you have a lot more ways to connect. Um, so maybe you were starting to hear things. So let's go back to that moment when you, you started to hear what was happening. Um, and Christina, why don't you start kind of when you, when you heard about this, what was your reaction? Well, I did not hear about this. Um, August 11th. I heard about it the day it like it kind of blew up. And that was when Ida had texted me and said, you will not believe what just happened. And I was very confused because I was aware that the curriculum was tabled for social studies, but I didn't know that a book ban would be a part of it in a way or be correlated with it throughout, you know, you, you know, talk throughout the air. So when I first heard about this, I was fierce, frustrated. I was fear, infuriated because I was like, there was no reason why those books like Ida had said should be banned in a place education, public education where there are all kinds of kids who need to be represented within their schools. I thought that what about the little kids in younger grades who when it's time to go to libraries as a class to go pick out a book and a little black girl can't find a book that has you know representation of her. And I just that really just made me frustrated as to why a school board thought that it was okay one and two necessary to ban these books. I believe the the news kind of broke from a dispatch article. Um, I think a, a week later, there was an article that that came out that really laid it out. And I think that Skeeta found out about it through the article. Um, and then it's I think it started from there. Is, is that correct, Ida? I'm pretty sure yes. that's what it was. Um, that is what happened. I, uh, after I found out, I texted Christina. We, I texted Olivia. We kind of created this like group. Um, it, Peru was already existent, but we created a new set of students. But I found out through this um, article in the York Dispatch. And as you said, August 11th, this decision came out. Teachers were emailed, but students were not aware. Even the board didn't tell the students, even the district didn't tell the students. The fact that the students had to find out this information that their education was being infringed upon by a secondary source, one article by a local newspaper that was, you know, circulating through social media, that is unacceptable to me. And this whole situation, when, when if you're asking me how I found out, I was absolutely appalled, um, partly because I had had conversations with the board, March of 2021. They had come out with statements against, you know, instating these resources in, in uh, this diversity resource ban um, and letting teachers use this list in early last year, fall or November. And the, the discussions to have this ban started in November. I realized that these comments are being made around March which is a late delay in that in that much time. And after I found out these comments were being made, us Peru at the time, um, Hodge and a few other students felt it was necessary to sit down and have conversations with the board on and have productive, you know, meaningful and, and conversations where we could exchange our perspectives and our ideas and, and let the board see our point of view as students of color. 
So that's exactly what we did. We had Zoom conversations over weeks in March with the with the board talking about how I felt, I mean, I suggested a diversity, more diversity education about cultures and, you know, dissent and religion and, you know, understanding where people came from at the, at the elementary level. And then more, um, more advanced African-American studies course at the high school level. And at that time, the board had seen really receptive to my suggestion and they had seemed really, you know, supportive that they had, you know, they value diversity in the district and they wanted this to be a thing. They wanted students to be collaborative in this. So, and, and that made me extremely happy because I had been in this district since I was in preschool and being that student of color, I never saw the representation in the libraries as I should. When I sat down for read aloud at, at, in library, I never saw an Indian girl in my book and I grew up ashamed of my culture. So I was, I was hopeful at that moment. So when this band game came out, I was not only infurious and appalled, but I felt as though I had been betrayed. I felt as though my concerns were not heard by the board. I felt as though I had been invalidated. And Andy, if you look very carefully at the resource list, you will find um, uh, a display or a presentation by another former student asking for everything that Ida just said. That presentation is banned or was banned. It's on the list. Wow. Okay. And for uh, and for the record, I want to add to to what Ida said. Those conversations that happened between the board and some of the members of the original Panther Anti-Racist Union, uh, who have graduated and now are gone on to other places, that also included members of student council. That also included members, uh, athletes, musicians of color. These. It was a full intensive. It was not just a Panther Anti-Racist Union thing and. And I was not there. I was not even a part of the planning of it. This is something that I mentioned at, to our club that we need to see if we can have some conversations, which is something I've done in the past in this district with issues of mental health when the last battle that was happening was about you know, talking, getting honest and talking about mental health issues back in 2006 in 2007. Um, that was the last time I had to see about trying to create some conversations with students and leaders. And so I was not a part of the, I wasn't at those meetings. I had nothing to do with those other than saying, hey, let's get some of our uh, Panther Anti-Racist Union kids and Ida Princess and I think uh, um, Ali Surgeoner, a couple other grads of the original program went and, and were there talking. So yeah. You've mentioned the Panther Anti-Racist Union, uh, Anita, you mentioned it as well. I wanted to ask um, the students a little bit about the club. Um, maybe, Christine, if you want to tell us about what the club is, what it does. Um, sounds like it's actually been, it actually predates this controversy in the district. It does. So the Panther Anti-Racist Union, as as Mr. Hodge would say, it, it, it started last year in September. So um, upon this book ban is really when we started really using our activism part of our mission. And that's how everything kind of kicked off. But the Panther Anti-Racist Union has been, you know, in action since September of 2020. Um, but we do more than just activism. We do more than just protesting. We are a group that wants to have honest and educational discussions about diversity, diversity awareness, and things of that nature. And not just racial awareness, awareness that 
just because somebody may look different than you, may identify different than you, may have a different orientation than you, that you should be welcome and you should not feel ashamed or try to hide. Um, we talk, have good discussion and, you know, also like embracing artistic abilities of other people within a group. So if someone wants to sing, go ahead. If someone wants to dance, go ahead. If someone wants to write a poem, go ahead. We will be a safe space for you. And how would you say this is, uh, I, I have three school age um, kids myself, uh, two in college and one in high school. So I've seen some of these different clubs that, that are at their schools. How would you, is, is this different? Is Peru a little bit different from kind of a diversity club or a multicultural club? Are there, are there differences or is it kind of the same idea? Um, I would say it's definitely like the same sort of idea. Um, I think that I mean, I can't really necessarily speak for other diversity groups or clubs, um, especially since Peru is, I mean, one of the first opportunities I've been given to have a diversity club. Um, I feel like we are really, really pushing for having that, like that safe space and wanting to like really, really push the education part and let people be comfortable with diversity. That's like a main thing. It's not like we're just like, hey guys, diversity is good. We want to make people feel you know comfortable being able to have just open discussions about diversity and be able to say like hey uh this was something that happened to me earlier how can i how can i deal with this or oh i saw this happen what should i do about it we can really help to educate uh and provide that safe place safe place where you can talk about it and um express your feelings and stuff like that to normalize it and i want to emphasize that our club is not limited to anyone it is open to everyone um, Panther Anti-Racist Union, as Hodge always says, we are a union, right? It's, it's anyone who is against racism and discrimination and, and is for acceptance. And as again, we can't speak for all what the other mission statements of any other diversity club may be, but that is just what we are. Yeah, and I, I can by no means give an academic definition of these terms, but my understand you know anti-racism feels to me like really emphasizing the fact that there have been historical wrongs in the united states um that that white people have historically had the power um and and you've talked a little bit about it here in our in our conversation like even just the simple act of representation and not seeing yourself in in books uh and in other types of multimedia content um, that to me is how I've come to understand anti-racism. It's a little more than just, you know, tolerance or can we all get along? It's like really understanding the culture and the history of this country. Yeah, I think that I think this came up in last week's day six club where we had 70 or it was like 50 kids. I think this past week, I think I counted 60 to seven. there. There's a lot of kids now joining in, but we talked about this last year. Cause I think it's important to have that conversation. My understanding of that is, yeah, it's very, it's not what everybody is saying it is. I think, I think one of the things I read and, and have discovered about anti-racism is that it's not enough to say that you're, that racism is bad. Right. So like, sure. I think the majority of Americans and individuals, I think all across any spectrum would say that, of course, racism is bad. Of course, discrimination is bad. Right. And I think anti-racism for me personally is making sure that um, that when I see it 
or if I see examples of it, it's not enough for me, especially as a white male, to say, oh, that, oh, too bad. Oh, boy, that's, that's bad that that's happening. And then go back to my nice suburban home and comfortable house while people, as Patty were mentioning, are like dealing with actual PTSD trauma, trauma and frustration about it. So I guess that for me, anti-racism means what am I doing to help not dismantle it per se, but to raise awareness about it, where it's happening, to how can I help? Um, how can I amplify voices? And I use the example of my acting classes, a very simple anti-racist behavior is to look at my materials at, that I'm providing my students and making sure that those student actors are represented by what I'm having in my class. That's that's a simple, non-really offensive thing to do, to give people options and representation. And not having that representation is a kind of exclusionism. And that's sort of like a passive aggressive racism. You know, when Ida talked about, you know, having books, no books where anyone looked like her. And I remember a child, a senior, a black boy coming to my door and he was holding this book like it was his life. And I'm like, OK, what's so exciting about the book? He goes, Miss, there are black people in this book. And um, I'm a writer. My debut novel comes out in November and I, I'm haunted by that child. Um, and there it's a black led cast. And I'm very proud to be able to say that and to enter into the world of science fiction and fantasy with a black led cast so that anyone who picks up that book, you are represented. I understand exactly what Edith is talking about, because once upon a time going to the store to get a baby doll, no one looked like you. You had to get a blonde haired, blue eyed baby doll. That's not the case anymore. OK, but we have to keep pushing and we have to be better so that everyone is represented. And I also, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, I also think there's a lot growing up in this district. There, as Hodge said, it is not enough to say that I am against racism. When you are showing it, that you are racist in your everyday action. Like, it is not enough to say that you are against discrimination but you discriminate in your everyday actions, whether that be through broad, broad actions or through little microaggressions that I have been dealing with in my 12 years in this district. Not enough people realize what they say and what they do matters and, and it's hurtful. Not enough people realize that the little things that they say can make a broad impact on, and especially for me as a child, how I viewed myself, how I viewed my culture and how long it took for me to love myself. So having that education, even about the microaggressions is so invaluably important and I can't emphasize that enough. And yeah, I just kind of want to say this, that we can't change the past. What happened in this country happened, but we can learn from it and we can grow from it and we can make sure it doesn't happen again. We're not trying to sit here and, you know, as, as people say, make others feel bad. No, that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to educate you, tell you what happened, the truth, and make sure it doesn't happen again. We can't change the past, like I just said, but we can make sure it doesn't happen again. And so there was, oh, go ahead, Olivia. I just wanted to say that this is kind of good is going off of what everyone has been saying. Um, like 
obviously I have not had to face discriminatory behavior or racism in this district. I am white. I haven't had to face any of that, but I have seen microaggressions and I see what it does to people. And um, if I'm seeing it and feeling the effect of it, I can't even imagine how the people who it's directed at must feel, especially if it's something that they've been made to feel ashamed about all their lives. So um, these resources and this uh, this curriculum, not even curriculum, these open conversations can help people because um, a lot of the time it's ignorance. And to avoid that, we can simply talk about it, have those discussions, and people can realize what to say and what is hurtful. That is kind of all we are trying to say. We just want to have discussions and educate people on what can really, really hurt someone. And so did you want to jump we, in there? Yeah, we, we, I'm, I'm pivoting now. We have a social worker at our school. His name's Emmanuel Brown. He's an amazing individual. And I've been working with him since he was hired um, in 2006, along with our diversity grant originally. Uh, and he has taught me, um, he said, this something that that I think encapsulates all this and really what gets to the core of what Peru is trying to get at. Um, I think it's it's and he says this, that it, you can't hurt someone whose story, you know. Right. And I remember him saying that to me about a decade ago, and that just transformed my understanding of my teaching, and it also uh, transformed what my expectations were for a healthy classroom environment. Um, I think the number one role, um, I model all of my clubs, basically how I model my classroom. The number one rule in all my classrooms is, this will be a safe space for you to be who you are. It's be you, be long, be here. And, and just be present here, be yourself and belong, right? And we're, I'm not expecting you to be best friends with everybody here. I don't expect everybody in every club that I lead to be best friends with each other, but we are going to learn how to coexist and we are going to learn how to be professional and work towards a common goal, whether it's a theater production, whether it's uh, a near pod that we're looking at in class or it's a project, or it's a club talking about uh, diversity and anti-racism things. So like, and I think it's also not enough to just simply say, I'm for diversity. So I think that's the inverse of the whole conversation as well, where I think people would say, well, we have a diversity program at our district. So check that box. It's anti-racism to me means it's more than checking a box, which is what these young people, everybody has kind of said. It's got to be more than just checking a box off a list or saying in your publicity statement that we do a celebration once every year. It has to be a transformational way, a daily work of, of really creating environments where people can be who they really are um, with this. Safely. And unconscious. Um, and I, I echo. Oh, go ahead, sweetie. I was no, going to no. say, like, yeah, unconscious practice to be kind to others, and, and you know, and I I hope that one day there wouldn't be a need for a diversity group. It should mm -hmm. just always be the norm. So that's I think that's what I kind of like want to work towards within this group is to make sure that we spread this as far as we can, so that way we don't have to have an a diversity awareness month. It just be every single day everyone is just kind to each other and it respects each other's differences. And I also wanted to add, like Mr. Hodge said, that 
I'm just going to say actions speak louder than words. Um, our actions do and what the board has done, their actions do. So from what I have seen um, and what I've witnessed, I, I just, I just need, I just am hoping that their actions will be representative of what they're claiming to say. And just going back to what Mr. Hodge said about community, for a lot of children coming into Central, their classroom is the first community of diversity that they are seeing. You know, so there are questions. Um, I can remember having a discussion with some young ladies that Black women don't wash their hair every day, um, that Black people put oil in their hair, and that there's a different routine. And the kids were kind of like, really? And I remember walking away. And the two young ladies having a whole conversation about the differences and how they take care of their hair. It was a safe place to have a discussion about differences. And history's ugly, mistakes have been made. I bristle when I look at some of that history and we need to bristle together and in that safe place, have a discussion about it so that we can say to the children, yes, mistakes were made, you are the future and you must make sure it never happens again. And I will say myself as a middle-aged, cis, straight white guy who grew up in South Central PA, I mean, one of the most valuable things about anti-racism work has been, you know, really understanding what's referred to as the like-me bias, where you're drawn to people who are like you and understanding and really having a consciousness of that, um, which then allows you to build some of these connections that you all are talking about. Like once you're aware of that, then you have the opportunity to go further and build, uh, like in our workplace, for example, build relationships with folks who maybe have a different race, different gender, uh, different background. Um, it's just, and that's really and I think it's, yeah, and I think it's really important. And I think what I want to say, and I hope this comes out the right way, but I've been in, I've been speaking and and talking and working and working as a teacher of many students of color for a very long time. And I've never once, it's never once crossed my mind that when they're telling me these stories, when I have young students telling me that they have two talks, they have the birds and the bees talk and they have with, uh, I'll never forget my young, my young man that said, we have two talks. My, my dad and I have two talks, the birds and the bees talk, and we had the how to talk to the police talk, right? I remember hearing that. That was three years ago was the first time I heard that. And I'll, I, I didn't hear that and initially jump to, um, uh, he's making me feel bad or uh, he's talking negatively about all the police officers that I know who are white. That's not where I jumped. And I think people are jumping to conclusions. I asked him, I said, well, tell us about that. And it was in the class and he told it. And you should, everybody in the class was like, I had no idea. And I didn't know because that hasn't been my lived experience. So this whole concept of like having these conversations is making me as a white male feel bad about being white. I don't feel bad about being white. This is what I look like. And nor should we be ashamed of color, 
nor should we not see color. We should be like Christina was talking about. It should be, this is who we are. We don't have to jump to this conclusion that if somebody's sharing a different experience for me, they're claiming that I have some part or role in this. I've never once in 20 years felt that any one of my students that were talking about issues of race or culture were, were attacking my whiteness or saying that I was evil for being white, right? I, I just think that's really important. It's just a misunderstanding that I think is unfortunately happening around this discussion. Um, I, also I also run the Beautiful People, which is the LGBTQ club at the high school. And these books are not just BIPOC people. They're coming after LGBTQ people as well, which is just as offensive. And I am a straight cis woman and I run the club and the kids, they teach me so many different things. I was zero days old and I learned blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and they're horrified by what is going on. And they're equally terrified to even be in the club sometimes because they're not out to their parents, you know, but a black child is out to the world. A brown child is out to the world. There's no hiding that. Um, and that's why children need to be brought together to appreciate, to celebrate, and not tolerate, but to accept someone else's differences. I'm done with the word tolerate. Tolerate means I condone your existence. No, 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 no. That's not good enough. We need to move beyond that. And we need to accept people's differences and not be afraid of it. And that's what this is. That's the only thing this book ban was, was fear and ignorance. That's it. Fear of ideas, fear of change, fear of, of not being superior. Children are not looking to be superior. They're looking to be included. That's it. That's all. Thank you, Ms. Jackson. Oh my God, that was amazing. Girl, <laughs> girl, what? Um, got me tearing up over here. Um, I, I just wanted to add that as I've been reflecting on this whole situation, you know, living where we live and, and living in the demographics that we do, people are sheltered. People are sheltered to differences. People are sheltered to different perspectives. People are sheltered to the truth. They're sheltered because they surround themselves purposely, like you said, with like-minded people who they know will agree with them, who they know will, won't have a different perspective to offer and know that they, they can coax to agree with them as well. And that's what we need to move, move away from. There is this, there's this fear of being wrong. There is this ego. There is this, this, this ego that is holding people back from looking at the broader picture and looking at how their, their board's actions are really affecting their students. You know, looking deeper into saying, going past, you know, what your opinions are and looking, your political opinions are, and looking at how this ban is individually affecting these students. That is what's not happening. And that's, what's, that's what needs to happen. I want to be respectful of everybody's time, but I do have a couple more questions. Uh, and I realize that, um, Part we should probably set a little bit of context here. Ida and Patricia, you both have mentioned 
you've or alluded to what the district is like. I wonder if one of you could describe, like for anybody who's not familiar with York County or Central York, kind of describe what the district is like culturally, um, in terms of race and, and just in terms of political culture. Um, we're talking about the suburbs north of the city of York. Take it away, Ida. All right. Well, I can elaborate on that. Um, there is one diversity celebration every year at the school um, where, you know, different people from different cultures are encouraged to come and attend. Um, and that is the one day we're given per year where I can go to the school and look at the people around me and say, wow, I feel appreciated. Wow, I feel like there's people here that look like me. Here, wow, I feel like I belong, my, value, my opinions are valued. Um, and growing up, uh, yeah, it's, it's a predominantly white district and it's a predominantly white area. So I, growing up, I did not have a lot of representation. As I said, like I couldn't, I did not see any Indian children in books, Indian girls. You know, even in the broad spectrum of media, today there is not a lot of indian american representation and i and growing up in new york that was you know expanded upon um and i i i think i always grew up not cognizant to the microaggressions taken against me or the racism that i was facing just because even i didn't have there wasn't a culture of cultivating that education even for students of color to acknowledge you know, how they were being treated and how they should be, treat, be treated. I was ignorant to how, what people were saying was wrong to me. Uh, you know, I was, and there was just this internal, you know, like visceral shame that I always felt of being myself. Um, I used to perform at the diversity shows. I used to dress up in Indian clothes and do Bollywood performances uh, to Indian songs. Every year at the diversity shows, I told my mom to stop. After my third year, my teacher showed that video to my class. My class did not respond um, greatly. They didn't appreciate my culture. And I said, mom, I can't do this anymore. I don't wanna do this anymore. People are making fun of me. I don't wanna dress up in my cultural clothes and show my culture off. I, I stopped. So for me growing up in this district, People have not always been, you know, receptive to my culture and, you know, understanding because there is, I, I genuinely think at that, you know, base level, there is that ignorance. There's just not that education. I don't think I'm blaming anyone. I think that that's why I talked to the board and that's why I said, I told them my experiences of how people reacted to me, you know, embracing my culture and, you know, said that that's why we need to educate about culture. Um, and as obviously you can see what happens. So that's kind of the environment I grew up in, if that helps. Um, I grew up in a white private school in the area. And what Ida's describing here in the 21st century was the 20th century. And as a teacher, I can express that that ignorance and that microaggression definitely exists. And the only shame is when you get caught doing it. And when someone stands up and addresses it, I had a young man from China and his name was Bao. And the children like to call him, take a bow bow. And I was about to launch across the room. He stopped me. And here's the worst part of what Ida's talking about. This grinding up acceptance of not wanting to cause a fuss. To accept the microaggression as a little part of your soul 
dies every time someone disrespects you. And they did it again one day. And I didn't care what the young man said. I was on them. And just like a teacher, like a mama bear, because that's how I am. I'll come at you. And there was this shock. There was this sudden realization of, I like Bao. I've hurt his feelings. Oh my gosh, all this time. And I said my piece and I walked away. I had what I had to say to them. And I heard the young man go over to him and apologize to him. And it never happened again. And I remember Bao coming to my desk and saying, thank you, Miss Jackson. So I'm never going to wait again. I'm never going to wait again. If I see it, I'm launching across the room. Now, my fear is parents probably would have complained that I shamed their children, that I made them feel bad. And in that case, I'm glad because you were disrespectful and you should feel something bad about that. And I want to also add on to that. Um, I felt exactly how that student of Miss Jackson's felt. I felt judged for speaking up about being different. For years, I, I had this in, inert feeling like I wanted to be white. I wanted to fit in. I, I didn't want to have a culture. I wanted to, you know, ha have homes where different food wasn't made and, you know, different clothes weren't worn and different religion. Like I didn't, I didn't belong to a different religion. I wanted that for so long because I felt bad about being different. And like that student, I probably would have said, please don't say anything. These kids are going to judge me for standing up for what is right. And that's all I have to say. So Ben and Patricia, I want to ask you about process here. So the board rescinded this list, but my understanding is that they there's more review to be done. Can you kind of explain what you think the next couple of months look like? I want to say chaos because I don't think they can get themselves together to do anything. Um, my fear is the word temporary that is lifted temporarily, um, which means we're going to go back and ban it again. I understand that there may be some materials on there that cause people to bristle. And we need to look at those dozen or so resources that cause people to bristle. But the other 200 some books need to be left alone because they're wonderful. They're wonderful books. So what does it look like? Supposedly, there is a public committee, curriculum committee, that is going to be called into action. Um, and I'm going to make sure my behind's on that committee, okay? So that somebody can look me in my face and tell me why a particular book is banned. Because um, again, there were some books, there was a book, and I can't think of the name of it right now, that caused me to go, ooh, that's kind of a tough conversation. Not that it shouldn't be had, but it needs to be had by the right person. And you have educators who have master's degrees, some of them PhDs in teaching, who should be allowed to do their jobs because they are the teaching authorities, not some of these ignorant people that think they know something just because they saw it on Fox News. Yeah, I would echo Patty's uh, sentiment there. I think temporary is a, I think uh, I'm an English teacher by trade uh, and I'm also a speech and the speech and communication teacher as well. Um, so words are very important. Um, and while I do agree with what Ida said earlier about actions um, are very speak louder than words, I also do believe that word choice and word usage 
and semantics are extremely important in this discussion, right? We have to make sure that we agree on the denotation of anti-racism, which is the, what is the working definition that we're playing with? Um, I heard a caller talk about critical race theory and CRT on the, at, on the board meeting. It's the same thing. We have to make sure that we're clear about what we are defining and not just using words throw, being thrown out. So there's my little stump speech on semantics, word usage, denotations, and connotations, which I think is important for us to learn about. That being said, the use of the word temporary is scary to me. And I also think it's scary that I continue to hear, which is on public record because I've been watching every board meeting since June of 2020, and for them to keep saying, well, we're going to wait. We're going to wait. So temporary is number one. And then I also hear well, we're going to wait to figure this out until new leadership comes in. Right. So that's concerning to me. Um, I feel like this is something that we should be talking about. And even I think one of the board members said that that was one of the things that he apologized for was that he felt bad about that they didn't look at this sooner. That's what we've been saying all along is that this should have been taken care of. Um, so I do think temporary waiting is a concern to me. Um, I think it's fantastic that the ban was lifted. I personally feel that it, there, there never should have been one in the first place. I think many people would echo that sentiment. Um, and, um, you know, a conversation should have been had a year ago. Um, and so I think that's a little bit concerning to me about temporary and waiting that that's a little bit of a concern, but to predict what is going to happen. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't have that foresight. I wouldn't be here if I did. Um, I want to give the students, uh, the last word here. I also want to just kind of give a little bit of, uh, activism advice on in light of what we just heard from Ben and Patricia. You know, in, in activism, it's always important to celebrate the wins um, and people want to be part of movements that that win. Um, you know, if 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 we go into these movements and say everything's terrible, we always lose. Join us. Nobody, nobody will join us. So with the, with the um, with the note that you do have a win in your pocket now, um, I want to give the three of you a chance just to, to say how you felt when when the, the list was was rescinded. Um, so Olivia, why don't you go first? Well, um, I mean, when the board first uh, voted that uh, that they were going to reverse the ban, I was I was definitely very, very relieved and I felt I felt very, very happy that they, we were finally getting these resources back in the classrooms. Um, but I think all of us can attest that we had to have that level of understanding that um, this very well uh, was probably not out of just the goodness of their hearts or anything like that. They received attention and they did what the public wanted them to do and the pressure wanted them to do. So I think all of us had to keep that in mind and just uh, recognize that this very well could have been out of the goodness of their hearts. So we've got to prepare for the fact, uh, we've got to prepare for that what if. We've got to prepare for the likely story that um, they're going to not do anything else on diversity or um, even make another move to attack BIPOC voices. So um, as 
we were, we definitely celebrated our, you know, that, that accomplishment. And we were very, very overjoyed at um, what can happen when a community comes together. Uh, but we were also, we also took a second to breathe and say, and now the real work begins. Yeah, I agree. I, when I heard, you know, that they passed the motion to reverse this ban, I was like, great. Took a beat. And I said, what's next? Um, I, I was like, what, what can we do now to help someone else? What can we do now? What's another issue within our suit, within our district, in our community that we can help? I did not blink twice at this. I didn't, I didn't give them the over exerted praise. Maybe they were respect like, oh, look, the diversity band, let's go. No, this should have never been an issue. And we, they did the right thing. That's what they did. That's like stopping at a red light. You did the right thing. There's not a, there's not a parade. At the, at the red light for you every single time. You did the right thing. That should not have to have, you know, a week-long parade. But in my opinion, we should, we, now that we, now that we've gotten this, we now need to focus on how, who else we can help, how else we can help, and to spread diversity awareness. And with these, with these very same resources they try to take away from us, we can use these resources now to spread the word to younger kids, to spread the word to the community. Anita, what about you? Um, I would just like to say, as as much as I would have liked to be overjoyed on top of the moon, um, we had already been protesting for two weeks plus, and we had already talked to countless news stations that had gotten no comment back from the board. So those were their actions, and as again, their actions spoke louder than their words. So as much as I was like, there was a sense of relief, right? That the pressure works, right? Our voices are heard. That was my first, you know, like confirmation, like, wow, our student body can come together and they can hear us. They might not believe us. They might not actually listen, but they can make a change because we came together as a community. By that, I was empowered. And at the same time, there was this overwhelming feeling of responsibility that came over me because I said, it's too easy. It's too easy, you know, because this is not where it ends. It's not. And we know that. And, and it's, it's a good type of responsibility that came over me saying that, you know what, as Christina says, the work begins here. I'm paraphrasing, but as Dr. King said in the letter from the Birmingham jail, you sometimes have to create a situation that's so pressure packed that they have no choice but to act. And that's exactly what you all did. So thank you all so much. I really appreciate uh, your time and your insights. This is amazing. Uh, this is our 66th episode of this podcast, and this is definitely going to be on the top five list because this is great. You all had some amazing insights. So thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank Peace. You. That's Christina Ellis, Ida Gupta, Olivia Patuk, Patricia Jackson, and Ben Hodge from Central York High School. Thank you again to the five of them and everyone at Central York who fought their school censorship. That brings episode 66 to a close. The audio editor of Speaking Freely is Freddie Foulet, and our video editor is Cambria Lee. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Schufer. I'm Andy Hoover. Until next time, be healthy and be free. Thank you.